Praise the Lord. I'm going to invite you to turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5 this evening. Romans chapter 5 verse 17 is one of my favorite verses in Scripture. And um, uh, and I, I think that it's uh, this verse of Scripture is real easy to read over and uh, and fail to, to see the import, the real truth, the meat of the word that uh, that God is making known to us. I know that to be true because I did it for many, many years. And... Um, don't, I hope you don't interpret that to mean, uh, to think that I'm saying that I know everything that there is about this verse, but the Lord has sure shown me a lot of things that I didn't see from before. Paul is writing by the Spirit of God, and he said in verse 17, Romans chapter 5, verse 17, For if by one man's offense, he's talking about Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden, for if or since by one man's offense death, spiritual death, reigned by the one, Adam, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Well, this is healing school, and so we want to talk about reigning over sickness specifically, uh, using this verse as a beginning point. And, uh, uh, and I want you to notice what it says here. It says, much more they which receive. Notice the word receive. The abundance of grace and gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. You certainly couldn't reign in life if you're bound by sickness. Amen? Now, I know the devil attacks us all. And there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with being attacked. It doesn't mean that we've done something wrong. The devil is an equal opportunity destroyer. But the important thing to realize is that God intends for you to reign over the sickness that attacks you. As well as every other thing. He expects you to reign over, or at least he's made a way. I think it's safe to say he expects it of us since he has uh, revealed to us who we are in Christ. But he's made a way for us to, to reign over anything and everything the devil attacks us with. Where it's poverty, sickness, sin whatever the case may be, any of the works of the devil, anything that would try to hold us back from uh, realizing the fullness in our lives of what Jesus paid for, God wants us to reign over. But how are we going to do that? You know as well as I do, it's got to mean more than just getting saved. Because it's a, it's a, a very small minority, very small number of Christians, people that are saved, that are really reigning in life. So there's got to be something more to it than just making Jesus the Lord of your life. Now, don't get me wrong, that's the most important step you can take. But even once you've made Jesus your Lord and Savior, once you've asked Him to come into your heart, once you've been born again, there's still something more. There are still other steps for us to take in order for us to reign in life. Now, uh, again, maybe it um, uh, serve as well for me to make this comment, and that is, it's not anything on God's part that needs to be done. He's made everything available to us. But we don't know everything that's available to us when we first get saved, do we? And as a result, as we learn, as we grow, as we grow in the knowledge of who we are in Christ, then we're able to partake of these things. But I want to talk to you tonight specifically about taking hold of your healing. Because this word receive means to take hold of. It says, much more they which receive, take hold of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. The abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. So that means whatever we take hold of is based first and foremost on our relationship with God through Jesus. That's what righteousness means. That's where righteousness comes. You don't come, you don't get righteous by walking with God for 50 years. You get righteous by making Jesus the Lord of your life. So there's a taking hold of, there's an, there's an understanding of that relationship that we have with God and what that means to us because of that relationship that's involved in reigning in life. And the taking hold of the abundance of grace, grace is in its simplest definition. This is my definition. Most uh, most uh, uh, commentators will define the word grace as unmerited favor. I really don't like that definition because most people focus on the unmerited rather than the favor. And it makes them focus on themselves and their lack of a sense of worthiness or whatever the case is. And we miss out on the fact that it's all about the favor of God. Well, what has the favor of God done? The favor of God sent Jesus to the earth to accomplish the plan of redemption. Therefore, I define grace as the finished work of Jesus. Because everything about God's favor is encapsulated. It's, it's, it's included in the finished work of Jesus. So if we take hold of, and it's an active thing, and that's what I want to get across to you tonight. Taking hold of your healing as well as taking hold of anything else that belongs to us is an active thing. If you're passive about it, you're never going to receive. 
And I would submit to you that that's the place where most of the church world, at least the American church, I'm not going to speak for places that I'm not a part of, but at least the American church, most of the American church is in a passive position where God is concerned. They're saved. They made Jesus the Lord of their lives. But they're going through life with this attitude of whatever God wants me to have is what it'll be. That's not a taking hold of anything. That's not a taking hold of anything. Now, I want you to notice this word receive. As I said, it means, and if you've got an a iPad or some uh, electronic device where you can look up the, the definition of the word, uh, the Greek word, it literally means to take or to take hold of. Uh, a secondary meaning is to act on. There is an action that is necessary in order for you to reign in life. There's an action where healing is concerned that's necessary for you to take hold of. There's something that you need to do. Now, that's a real important point because Jesus has done everything he's going to do about your healing and mine. Some people get discouraged by that. They think God's not going to do anything for them. The fact is God's already done everything for them. Jesus took your infirmities and bore your sicknesses, and with his stripes you were healed. It's a finished work. The grace of God where healing is concerned is the finished work of healing. Well, then, if that's the case, why are so many Christians sick? Because they don't know how to take hold of it. They don't know how to take hold of the relationship that we have with God, take hold of the benefits of that relationship. You remember David said in Psalm 103, he said, Bless the Lord, O my soul, bless the Lord and all that is within me, and forget not all of his benefits. See, a lot of people go to the bless the Lord, O my soul part, but they don't take advantage of the benefits. They don't calculate and recognize that there are benefits. Now, what are those benefits? Well, David went on to to uh, refer to a few. He said, who forgiveth all uh, thine iniquities? So thank God he forgives sin. That's a benefit of salvation. Most people, most of the church world knows that one. But then he said, who heals all thy diseases? There is just as much an active role that is required to take hold of the healing of your diseases as there is to take hold of the forgiveness of sins if you're going to live free from sin. Most of the church world doesn't live free from sin. They don't reign over sin in their lives. They're saved, they're forgiven, they're redeemed, but they don't live free from sin in their lives. Why? Because they're not taking an active position in that area. Turn with me over to Acts chapter 1. Let me show you some other places where this word receive is used. It's, um, I I didn't count them, but it's about uh, 70, uh, well, no, that's not right. It's about, uh, this word is used in the New Testament. This word receive is used in the New Testament uh, well over 140, maybe under up to 150 times. And it's translated a couple of different, uh, well, many different ways, but most often is translated either receive or received. It's translated to take in a couple of places, and it's translated to have in a couple of places. And uh, there are some other other translate or other um, uh, ways that the word is translated. But the the biggest part, the biggest majority, is receive, received, and took. Now, in in uh, Jesus' ministry, in Acts chapter one, I want you to notice what he said. He said, but you shall receive power. Here's that word receive. You shall receive. Now notice what he's saying. You shall take hold of power. How many of you like football? The guys raise their hands. Okay. Wives, if you tolerate football, you'll, you'll be aware of certain things that perhaps that I'm about to say. If you're a football fan, especially professional football, you know that receivers have become a big deal. Receivers didn't used to be a big deal as far as football teams were concerned because the receivers were out there just to catch whatever the quarterback threw. The, 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 um, the emphasis and the, the responsibility was placed all on the, on the quarterback. It's a different game now than it was 20 years ago. Now a receiver is as big as he can be. He's as strong as he can be. He's as fast as he can be because his job is not to make the, the quarterback look good. His job is to go get the ball. 20 years ago, receivers didn't go get the ball. They just went out to a place and the quarterback was responsible for getting the ball to them. It's a different thing now. And the reason it's a different thing, the reason it's a different game is because the defenders are different. The defenders can get away with a lot of stuff now that they couldn't get away with 20 years ago. And so there are active players who are actively working to keep that receiver from getting the ball. It works the same way spiritually. You've got an active enemy, an opponent who is actively working to keep you from getting your hands on whatever God has provided for you. Now, 
some receivers, they're just catchers. They just run out there, and it's the responsibility of the quarterback to put the ball in just exactly the right place. Other receivers, they're big, burly, brawny guys, and the quarterback throws the ball in the area that it's designed to be thrown to, and he knocks everybody down and goes to get the ball. That's what taking hold of healing is about. You've got to be active. You've got to be aggressive. You've got to take hold of what Jesus has provided for you. Because if you don't, Jesus said it this way. He said the violent take the kingdom of God by force. Now, what does that mean? He's talking about uh, the day that, that he was in, the day that he began. He said until John the Baptist, uh, from John the Baptist through now, talking about his own ministry, he said the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and the violent take it by force. Well, are we supposed to be violent in the world? Are we supposed to be like uh, Muslims and, and, and kill everybody that doesn't agree with us? Some denominations must, might think so. But that's not the violence he's talking about. What violence is the kingdom of heaven suffered? He's talking about spiritual violence. What violent m- position is the church supposed to take? We're not supposed to be violent against other people, but we are supposed to be aggressive in the, me- in the sense that we take hold of what Jesus has paid for. And if you're not aggressive about that, if you don't take an aggressive stand in faith, you're not going to receive. I know of a lot of people that have gone through all the steps. They'll say, Pastor Mike, I believe in my heart. I said with my mouth and I continued to say and nothing happened. And you can hear the whine in their voice. And it's this, I just don't understand why it's not working. Well, in many cases, it's not working because they're not aggressive, aggressively pursuing what the Bible says is theirs. If you think we can just lay back and expect God to do whatever he wants for our lives and it's just going to drop in our laps, that's not the way it works. And the reason it's not the way it works is because there's a real enemy out there. So Jesus said, you shall receive, take hold of power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall take hold of power. In Acts chapter 19, verse 2, Paul's in the, having passed to the upper coast of Ephesus, comes to where certain disciples are gathered around the river, and he asks them a question. He said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? That's an interesting way to, to, to ask the question. He said, have you received? Have you taken hold of? Same word. Have you taken hold of the Holy Ghost since you believed? They said, we have never heard of the Holy Ghost. What are you talking about? And Paul said, well, then under what are you baptized? If you don't know about the Holy Ghost, what do you know? They said, well, we've only been baptized with John's baptism. And Paul says, well, goodness gracious. Paul, uh, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, but there was one that he said was coming after him. Jesus has come. Jesus is gone. And now you can be saved. So he gets them saved, and then he gets them filled with the Holy Spirit. In other words, he shows them how to receive the Holy Spirit. One of the things that I've found in working with people to get them filled with the Holy Spirit, is a lot of people fail to receive the Holy Spirit initially because they just stand there after it's pre- after they're prayed for. Um, Lord, we thank you that uh, for filling our brother and sister with the Holy Spirit now. We expect to speak with the tongues in the name of Jesus. They'll open their mouths, they'll lift their hands, and they'll wait for God to do something. They're looking for God to give them something in such a way that they don't have anything to do with it, it just comes to them. And if you leave somebody in that position, they will never receive the Holy Ghost. You have to teach them that they have a responsibility. You have to teach them it's them that speaks in tongues, not the Holy Ghost. I did the same thing, folks. Nobody had taught me, and I did the same thing. I was in my room, and I just thought, well, okay, let's let the Holy Ghost do something here. Well, the Holy Ghost has no need to talk in tongues. You do. Acts 2.4, they were all filled with the Spirit, and they began to speak with other tongues. As the Spirit gave the utterance. God's part is not to do the tongues, the speaking in tongues. That's your part. God's part is to give you utterance so you can speak in tongues. And if you don't show somebody, it takes their voice, their tongue, their lips to give utterance to that which they're impressed to say they'll never receive. In other words, you teach them to take hold of it through action. Is this making any sense to anybody? And if you don't, they'll go through life. And somewhere along the way, they'll come up with the, the conclusion, well, I guess God doesn't want that for me. I guess being filled with the Holy Spirit is not for everybody. Well, of course it's for everybody. It's for everybody that's saved, but not everybody knows how to take hold of it. In the same way, you can go through life and say, Lord, I ask you to heal me in Jesus' name and never get a thing because it's the same spiritual principle. People just sit back and say, okay, I've done my part. I've asked for it. Now, if it's God's will, he's going to bring it to me. 
No, you're going to have to be just as aggressive. You're going to have to take just as much of an aggressive stand and action to take hold of the healing that Jesus purchased as to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, the reason is because you've got an enemy. If there was no enemy, if the devil wasn't working in the world, if there was no spiritual opposition, then it would be easy just to lay back and say, okay, Lord, whatever. And all the blessings of God would just fall on you. As Brother Hagin used to say, like ripe cherries off of a tree. But that's not the way it works. There is a spiritual opposition out there. So Jesus said, you'll receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Turn with me back to, um, where do we want to start? Let's start with Matthew chapter 15. I want you to see somebody that takes an aggressive position to take hold of healing. Matthew chapter 15. We'll start reading in verse uh, 21. It said, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. And anytime somebody calls Jesus the son of David, is they're, they're identifying Jesus as the Messiah. That was one of the prophecies about the Messiah, that he would be a, a descendant of David, a son of David. And as a result... When anybody comes to Jesus and says, Thou son of David, they're identifying, We believe you're the one that's promised. We believe that you're the Messiah. Well, it's obvious that she has faith in Jesus then, right? She wouldn't call him that if she didn't have faith in Jesus. Well, Pastor Mike, shouldn't that be enough? It wasn't in her case. And that's where a lot of the church world is. They have faith in Jesus. But what does that really mean? That means he went to the cross. That means he died for their sins. They believe that. They believe that they're going to heaven when they die. That's great. That's wonderful. But that won't get you healed. You're going to have to take hold of something more than that. Thank God that they take hold of that much to get them to heaven. Thank God that they take hold of what they believe in Jesus going to the cross and being raised from the dead so that they can become born again, so that they can become new creatures in Christ Jesus. But that won't get you healed. If you're going to get healed, it's going to take healing faith. Just like if you want to have, if you want to be saved, it's going to take saving faith. Behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Can any of you guys relate to this? If you had a child who is being attacked by the devil, would, can you relate to her situation? Can you relate to how important this would be to her in her life? Let me turn it around. How important would it be to you? If this is your child, your son, your daughter, how important is this issue going to be with you? Is this going to be a casual thing? Oh, gee, I need to get to Jesus and get healing for my daughter, and then after that I need to get to Costco. I would suggest to you that if your son or your daughter or somebody you care about was under attack, you're going to go after something with a purpose. She does. So she says, have mercy on me, O son of David, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil, but he answered her not a word. That's not real encouraging, is it? He answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, send her away, for she crieth after us. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us she didn't just say it one time. She didn't just come to Jesus and say, have mercy on me, Lord, thou son of David, for my daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. Jesus didn't say anything. She says, oh, well, I guess it's a bad day. I guess it's not a day for helping people. He must have other things on his mind. No, she continues to cry after him, and that's in, illustrated by the fact that the disciples say, Lord, do something about this. Now, interesting to me, Jesus has got the disciples for crowd control, and every time somebody makes a fuss, the disciples go to Jesus and say, Jesus, could you take care of this? So the disciples say, Master, send her away, for she cries after us. In other words, it's not enough for you to not say anything. You're going to have to get rid of this woman. That's what they're asking him to do. They're saying, get rid of this woman. She's bugging us. How is she bugging them? Because she's asking for what she wants. Why does she keep asking? If she's already asked Jesus once what the Bible tells us she did, and Jesus didn't answer, why didn't she give up? Because this woman is not the given up kind. 
Now, without going any further, let me ask you a question. Since this woman, who is not the giving up kind, gets what she's after, what kind of person are you? We know this kind of person, the kind that doesn't give up, gets what they're after. That should make us check up on ourselves. Now, if it was me, I'd have been discouraged that Jesus didn't say anything. I wouldn't have liked that a bit. I doubt if she liked it much either. She may have had the idea. I'm going to get to where Jesus is. I've heard about him healing the sick. I'm going to get to Jesus. I've even heard him healing other people's sons or daughters. I'm going to get to where he is, and I'm going to say, Jesus, my daughter needs healing, and Jesus is going to turn around, and the sunlight of God is going to come from his face. And he's going to say, oh, daughter, I've been waiting for you. Of course I'll heal your daughter. Go your way and be at peace. We all fantasize about that kind of stuff, don't we? We all imagine that our prayer is going to be heard and answered instantly. Well, if it didn't, if the the real life experience didn't meet her expectations, what impact did that have on her? None. She stays right there after it. So much so that the disciples say, Master, she is bugging us. We're getting tired of her calling you the son of David. We're getting tired of her asking for healing for her daughter. And Jesus answered and said, I am not sent but under the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He doesn't say, woman, you're going to have to get out of here. That's what the disciples seem to want him to do. He doesn't say, woman, get out of here. This is not a place for Gentiles. Instead, he says, I am only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Well, that's true, isn't it? Jesus was sent first and foremost to the Jews. Now, about this time in his ministry, he shifts over and he starts ministering to the Gentiles. But he says very clearly, I'm sent to the Jews first. Now, if you were her, what impact would that have on you? You could take what he said and turn it around and say, well, Jesus just told me that he's not going to help me. That's not what he said. And it's so easy to put your own interpretation on things. And the devil is always there, always on our shoulders, to try to get us to accept the negative on any and every situation when it comes to receiving from God. It's going to be your responsibility to turn it around to a positive, even if it looks like it's a negative. That's what she did. He said, I'm not sent, but to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. Do you know what she's saying? She's saying, I don't care about Jews and Gentiles. Help me. Now, how many people do you know that if they heard what they interpreted, and she certainly could have, she had every right to interpret what Jesus said as a no answer. First of all, he refused to answer anything. He didn't say anything when she first came. Now, the only thing that he said that we have record of in this story is she sa- is he says, I'm really not sent to you. What does she do? Is that cause for her to give up? Negative. She comes and worships him. What does that mean? That means she falls down before him at his feet and says, Lord, help me. I don't care about Jews. I don't care about Gentiles. I don't care about who's from where. I just need your help. Help me. And Jesus causes the sunlight to shine upon her face and says, oh, you are one special woman. No. Jesus says, it's not meat, it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. My goodness gracious, Jesus, come on. Are you serious? First of all, he doesn't answer her. Then he says, I'm not sent to you. Now he calls her a dog. And what has she done? She's recognized that he's Messiah. That's kind of why Jesus came to the earth, isn't it? He wants people to know that he's the promised one. He wants people to know that he's the one that's anointed of God. He wants people to know that he's the Messiah, the one that was prophesied about. She does. She believes that. That should be a mark in her favor, shouldn't it? Doesn't seem to count. Then when the disciples try to get rid of her, Jesus says, I'm not sent for you. 
And what does she do? She falls down and worships him. That's a good thing too, isn't it? I mean, you'd think she's pushing all the right buttons and pulling all the right levers. I mean, if she's got this calculated out, first I'm going to call him the Messiah, then I'm going to worship him. No matter what happens, I'm going to call him the Messiah, not give up and worship him. That's a pretty good plan. And Jesus said, it is not right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Now, folks, I want you to realize something. Before we focus, refocus back on her, Jesus said that healing belongs to the children. He said healing is the children's bread. Now, he's contrasting the Jews and Gentiles again. He hadn't changed subjects. He's contracting, tra- contrasting the Jews and Gentiles. He says, I'm sent to the Jews, and I'm sent to bring them healing. But as far as she's concerned, as far as her individual case is concerned, he said it's not right to take what belongs, the healing that belongs to the Jews, the healing that is the right of the children, and to cast it to dogs. Can I ask you a question, folks? How many of you are aware that the Bible says that if you ask Jesus into your heart, you become a child of God? Then let me ask you something else. Where did healing stop being the children's bread? If healing was the children's bread in Jesus' ministry when he was here on the earth, when nobody could be born again, are we to say that it's not the children's bread now that we have been born again with God as our Father? I don't get where the church says that healing is not for everybody. I don't get it. I know their arguments. I know their, I know their claims. I know the, what scriptures they use and all that other kind of stuff. But there is just way too much information that tells us about God's attitude toward healing the sick. And remember, God never changes. God said, I'm God, I change not. That's pretty definitive. Jesus, according to Hebrews 13, 8, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That means the same way Jesus was in this story in Matthew 15, Jesus is today, and Jesus will forever be. So that means he doesn't change. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. And he abides with us forever. Well, truth doesn't change. So you got God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who never change. It's impossible for any of them to change. So how is healing not the children's bread now? How is that possible? What changed? If it's not the children's bread today, what happened? There's no answer for that, folks, because healing is still the children's bread. Healing was not the children's bread because of the time that Jesus lived. Healing is the children's bread because it's part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. And remember Galatians 3, verse 13 says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth upon a tree, verse 14, so that that it might be, um, I'm losing it. Verse 14, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles and that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. The whole reason Christ redeemed you is to make good Abraham's covenant on your part. That's what it means by children's bread. It's a covenant right. It's a covenant blessing. Now it belongs to those that are redeemed by Jesus and through his blood. It's still the children's bread. But back to her. This is not necessarily good news on her part. Or for her at this point. Because Jesus says it's not right. She's worshipped him. She says, Lord, help me. Forget Jews, forget Gentiles. Help me. And Jesus says it's not right for me to take the children's bread, the healing that belongs to the children of Israel, and give it to the dogs or the Gentiles. The Jews called everybody that was not a Jew a dog. Jesus is just following the custom of the day. He's not singling her out. He's just following the custom of the day. It's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. And then she does something else. Now, folks, if she doesn't have enough reason to quit by now, please. Yet she turns the the situation around. She turns the argument based upon Jesus' word. In other words, she takes what Jesus says and makes it applicable to her. I never have understood why people will excuse or explain away scriptures that say something good belongs to you. The devil's always right there and say, yeah, well, that doesn't belong to you because that was for the Jews. Or he'll say that doesn't belong to you because you're so unworthy. 
I never have understood why people don't take the same energy that they use to explain away blessings and instead identify why those can apply to them since the Bible says that it does. You're going to argue one way or the other. Why not argue for your benefit? Notice what she says. She says, truth, Lord. Healing is the children's bread. No question about it. You are sent first to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. No question about that. Truth, Lord, yet. But. What you said is true, Jesus. But. Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Okay, Jesus, your turn. Jesus says to her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you, even as you will. Now, what did her faith do? Her faith overcame the Jew and Gentile issue. Her faith overcame whether or not it belonged to her at that moment in time. You know what? It didn't. It would. It would certainly belong to her after Jesus is raised from the dead and she accepts Jesus as her Lord. But at that moment in time, in Matthew 15, at that moment in time, healing did not belong to her, yet she turned Jesus' argument to her benefit. And Jesus said, your faith got this for you. Your faith crossed the racial barriers. Your faith brought the blessing of Abraham to the Gentiles. In her case. Not overall, but in her case. Isn't it interesting why Jesus did not say, woman, quit arguing with me? No, he commended her faith. Now, what is she doing? Is she the receiver that's out there running down the field just hoping the ball's going to come? No, she's knocking everything, every obstacle out of the way, and she's going to get the ball for herself. In this case, the ball is healing. She takes an active role to receive. And Jesus said, woman, great is your faith. Smith Wilkersworth used to say this. He said, God will overlook a million people to find one person operating in faith. That's a real scriptural statement. The Bible says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth, seeking someone that he may show himself strong on, the, on their behalf. Well, who is that person? The person that's operating in faith. She's taking hold of. She's receiving the abundance of grace. Jesus is the grace of God sent to the earth. She's taking hold of it. It's an active position. It's an active stance. She basically says, I'm not going to be denied on this. You're sent from God. You were sent to heal. I need healing. Give it to me. Now, you say it in those terms, and some people nowadays will say, well, you can't approach God with that kind of arrogance. Well, she's obviously not being arrogant. She falls down before him and worships him. She recognizes you're the son of David. You're the Messiah. You're sent from God. She worships him and says, Lord, help me. Jesus said, it's not me. It's not right to take the children's bread and give it to dogs. She says, Lord, all I need is a crumb. And even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I don't need it to belong to me. I just need a crumb. I don't care if you call me a dog or call me a child. doesn't matter to me. I just need a crumb of healing. And Jesus commends her for her faith. He said, woman, great is your faith. Be it unto you even as you will. That is a phenomenal statement. Be it unto you even as you will. Catch whatever you want. Receive whatever you'll have. Great faith receives whatever it will have. Not whatever God wants. He didn't say, woman, great is your faith, be it unto you according to the will of God. Which is where most of the church world is on receiving anything. Well, if it's God's will, I guess he'll bring it to me. And if it's not, I'll just have to do without it somehow. Now, Jesus says, great faith receives according to its will. This is a lot like what Jesus said in John chapter 15, verse 7. He said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you... By the way, Romans ten seventeen says, so then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So if the word is abiding in you, that means you're going to have faith. There's no way for the word to abide in you and faith not to be present. 
Faith comes by hearing the word. That's why so many Christians don't have faith because they're not hearing the word. But Jesus said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will. And it shall be done unto you. He didn't say you'll ask God's will. He didn't say if you abide in the word, then God will make sure he gets his will to you. He says you'll ask what you will. Great faith takes hold of the promises of God. Because great faith is based on the knowledge of the word. And the knowledge of the word is the knowledge of God's will. Oh, yeah, but when you say things like that, Pastor Mike, what if somebody asked for something outside of the will of God? Then the word's not abiding in them. If the word's abiding in an individual, then that means they're operating in the will of God. Because God's word is his will. You can't separate the two. So if the word of God is abiding in you, automatically you're operating by the will of God. That means your desire is according to what the word has said and the word is revealed, meaning your desires are God's desires. So you can ask what you will. It's interesting that Jesus didn't put some kind of qualifier on that. He didn't say, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, then you'll ask what you will, as long as you don't go to extremes. Because, see, we all put qualifiers on it. We think, well, that can't mean really anything that I will. Jesus said, you can ask what you will. I think we're going to get to heaven and find out we prayed small prayers. Won't that be a shame? I get tickled at some people who say, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Lord why he let this happen to me. When we get to heaven, so many of those people are going to find out when Jesus says, why didn't you take hold of what I purchased? I shed my blood for it. Why didn't you take hold of it? It's going to kind of do away with their idea of why God let it happen. Let's look at another one. Turn with me over to Matthew chapter 8. Here's another case where Jesus talked about a man's great faith. Let's start in verse 5. It says, When Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lies at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that thou should come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. So you can see that he's not asking based on his own goodness. Now, if you put this together with Luke's account, the Bible says that uh, that the centurion had built the Jews a synagogue in Capernaum. He financed the work. He had done a good work for the Jews. Remember, the blessing of Abraham is I'll bless those. God said, I'll bless those that bless you and I'll curse those that curse you. So as far as the Jews were concerned, they've already put it in Jesus' ear. Hey, he's a worthy Gentile. He's a Roman soldier, but he's built us a synagogue. You really should do good things for him. Let's stay on his good side. That's not the centurion's attitude. Centurion says, I'm not worthy that you should come to my house. I know there's this thing between Jews and Gentiles, and especially me being a Roman soldier. We're occupying your land. We're occupying your, your nation. I'm not worthy that you should come unto my house. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed, because I understand authority. I'm a man under authority. And I have soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes. And I say to another, come, and he comes. And I say to my servants, do this, and then they do it. I know how authority works. Once you give the command, once you speak concerning things that you have authority over, it's carried out. Your words are carried out. I know how this works. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said unto them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Talking about the Gentiles. That's who this guy is. He's a Gentile. Jesus doesn't even get into the dog part. This guy cuts him off from that. He says, I'm not worthy that you should come into my house. I know I'm a dog. But I know how authority works. And all you've got to do is give the command. That means it's just a matter of Jesus' will then, doesn't it? He understands how it works. Now it's just a question of if you will speak the word. My servant will be healed. And Jesus doesn't stop and he doesn't say anything about, well, it's not right to take the children's bread and send it and cast it to dogs. Why? Because this guy's in line to be blessed because he's shown a blessing to the Jews.
This is a matter of God honoring his promise to Abraham. I'll bless those that bless you, and I'll curse those that curse you. This is somebody that has blessed the children of Abraham, so he's due for a blessing from God. Not because he's some special person in and of his own right, not because he's a centurion, not because he's some, you know, ranking officer in the Roman army or anything like that. He says, look, I'm not worthy. But all you have to do is speak the word. Because I know how authority works. And Jesus said, I'll see people come from the east and west, Gentiles from every corner, and sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Notice the contrast between what Jesus told this group and what he told the the, uh, Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15. He says, it's not right to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. Yet her faith, because she turned it around, because her faith was so great, she still got what she what she came for. It crossed the racial barriers. Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter 8, you folks think that being a Jew is going to save you. You folks think that being a, a, a natural descendant of Abraham is the thing that's going to put you in good stead with God. No, it's not. In this case, it's his this guy that accepts the truth of the word spoken as being the key element. In Matthew 15, the key element was she refused to give up, and secondarily, she based her argument on what Jesus said. So in her case, she refused to quit. She took an active position. I'm not leaving here without what I came for. Now, when you say things like that, some people will think you're being selfish. Folks, how is it selfish? Was it selfish for you to get saved? Jesus died on the cross for your salvation. Was it selfish for you to get saved? No, it belonged to you. It's not a selfish thing. Did you want it? I sure hope so. You should have. It's not selfish. It's self-interest. There's no question about that. I got saved out of self-interest. I heard the story of heaven and hell. I got saved out of self-interest. And everybody else that has ever gotten saved got saved out of self-interest too. All this idea, well, I just wanted to serve the Lord. Yeah, and escape hell. Don't leave that little tidbit out. And folks, is there anything wrong with that? Is there anything wrong with taking hold of what Jesus paid for? I mean, he must have thought it was important enough to pay the price for it. Whether it's forgiveness of sins or whether it's healing. Jesus paid the price. So is it selfish to take hold of what he purchased? You think any of us are going to get to heaven and Jesus is going to say, I can't believe how selfish you were to take hold of healing. No, you got a lot of people that are operating in this false humility saying, well, I don't need anything from the Lord. Man, I do. I need a lot of stuff from the Lord. I'm a wreck without him. With very few prospects. Jesus says the children of the kingdom, in other words, the natural descendants of Abraham, are going to be left on the outside. Why? Because they fail to take the word at face value. They fail to take the truth of the word as the source of God's visitation to people, to mankind. This guy says, speak the word only. That's all I need, Jesus. You don't need to come to my house, just speak the word only. Jesus said, wow, I've not seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And then what does he say to him? Jesus said to him in verse 13, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, be it done to, uh, unto thee. And his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. What's he saying? He's saying, be it unto you according to your will. He's saying the same thing that he said. He used different words, but he's using conveying the same meaning that he, that he conveyed to the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15. He said, and as you believe, so be it done unto you. He said to her, be it unto you even as you will. Same thing. Do you believe for this? You said, speak the word. I'm speaking the word. Receive, take hold of what you wanted. Now, what was the case with her? She wouldn't give up, and she based her argument on the word. What was his situation? His situation was, I don't need you in physical form. I just need you to speak the word because the power is in the word. The power to overcome sickness is in the word. And Jesus said that was just as great faith as the woman in Matthew 15.
Now, neither one of them, well, let me qualify this. Let's start with him first. Let's start with the centurion first. Did he come begging Jesus for anything? This guy comes to Jesus almost as an equal. As far as God's concerned, they're not equals. But he didn't come bowing his head or anything like that and saying, oh, Jesus, you're great, I'm nothing. He came to Jesus and said, look, these guys are trying to get you to come to my house. There's no need for that. I know how authority works. I'm a man under authority. Somebody's over me and other people are under me. I know how authority works. All you have to do is speak the word. In other words, he's talking to Jesus as an equal concerning the subject of authority. I know how it works. It's not that they have the same measure of authority. They don't. But his experience with authority causes him to understand the subject. So he says, I know how it works. Do you know how it works? How much of the church world knows how it works? This guy didn't even have the benefit of being born again. This guy had no benefit of having heard the preaching of the, of the word. He had no benefit whatsoever of finding out who we are in Christ. But he understood authority because of his life experience. He said, the authority is in the word, and all you got to do is speak the word. Jesus said, wow, that's great faith. Being willing to take the word in and of itself, without any external circumstances, without any, any physical attachment, just the word alone, Jesus said, it's great faith. Now, if you put that together with the woman, she came to Jesus. She's not begging. She's imploring. She's entreating him, but she's not begging him. The reason she's not begging, she's not coming to him as a beggar. If she came to him as a beggar, she'd have gotten discouraged and and took off. She comes with a purpose. That purpose is to recognize you are the Messiah. You were sent here to help. Lord, help me. And then she turns the word around. She turns what Jesus says around to her advantage. And she says, Lord, I don't need the children's bread. I'm just looking for a crumb to fall from the table, just like dogs eat from their masters. Jesus said, wow, woman, your faith is great. If we put these characteristics together, you've got a dynamite situation. And the only people that Jesus ever commended for their faith were active to take hold of something. The faith it receives is active. Now, let me close with this. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 4. Let me contrast a little bit and show you what it's not. And here's something where people sometimes get thrown off. Hebrews chapter 4. Let's start in verse 1. Paul says by the Holy Ghost, let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. That's King James English for saying, don't leave any promise of God unreceived. Make sure you're taking advantage of everything Jesus purchased. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, Israel in the wilderness. But the word preached did not profit them because it was not mixed with faith in them that heard it. So it's not the word alone is not enough. You've got to mix faith with it. That's why the centurion got results. He understood how authority works, and he had faith that it would work for him. Verse 3, for we which have believed do enter into rest. We which have believed do enter into rest. A lot of people will look at that word rest and say, well, faith just lays back and, and lets things happen. There's an element of truth to that. But the word rest is the word abiding place. We which have entered into, uh, we which have believed do enter into the abiding place of God. Now folks, you're not going to get instant results on anything. Few things do we get instant results on. There are some cases of healing that are instantaneous. But for the most part, you receiving, you believing God on your own faith is going to be something that happens over a process of time. That's one reason that Jesus said in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say unto you, what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive them. There's that same word receive, take hold of. Believe that you receive them and you shall have them. The shall have them indicates that it's not an instant result. 
We know that Mark chapter 16 says, These signs shall follow them that believe in my name. They, it mentions five different things. The last sign is they shall lay hands of the believing ones, shall lay hands on the sick, and the sick shall recover. Well, recover is not an instant healing. It's an improvement. It's a process of improvement. It's no less supernatural than an instant result. But instant results, Jesus didn't always have instant results. You can't count on an instant result in every situation. They're nice to have when they happen. But just because you don't get an instant result doesn't mean that there's less power of God at work. Consequently, a lot of people think that this is this rest that we enter into is we just lay back and we let God do whatever he's going to do. You can't ever let your faith become passive if you're going to receive. Never, never, never. Now, there's a difference in active faith that is expectant for the results and just laying back and letting God do all the work. The difference is action. Faith that receives never stops acting. But it's a peace. It's an action of peace, not an action of works. Oh, we've got to work it and we've got to make it happen. We've got to make convince God that we're really in faith or we've got to say it enough because the more times we say it, then that'll happen. That's not the way it works, folks. I see a lot of people that are trying to work their faith and it's not really settled in their heart that the word is true. The abiding place is again, John 15, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done. Here's how it works. If you've asked God for healing, let's say you're being attacked with some kind of sickness and you've uh, asked, uh, prayed for your healing according to the word. And as a result of praying the prayer of faith, you have in concluded your prayer with saying, thank you, Father, that healing is mine now by faith. The prayer of faith always ends in the glad confession, it's mine, I have it now. In some way, some form. Okay, it's mine now by faith. Do I see any result in my body? Not yet. So what am I doing? I'm resting in the power of the word to bring it to pass. How do I rest in the power of the word to bring thy healing to pass? I continue to thank God for it. If I'm not thanking God for it, if I'm not actively pursuing that which I've prayed for, it's not real faith. It's not a faith that receives. And so many times people will pray and then they'll just wait for God to do it. And that's when they come up with questions. When is it going to happen? Well, when it's going to happen is not my responsibility and that's not yours. Well, what is our responsibility? Our responsibility is to believe that we receive. How do we believe we receive? We thank God for what we ask for. We thank God for what we ask for. We accept that the word of God is true. Therefore, it has to come to pass. You ever had the Lord really reveal Mark eleven twenty three to you? This has happened a number of times with me throughout my life. Here's what I mean by that. You know what Mark eleven twenty three says? Jesus explaining the principle, the process by which he cursed the fig tree and it dried up from the roots overnight. Jesus said, whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe. Must be talking about in his heart, believing in his heart. Believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. He shall have whatsoever he saith. Folks, I've had situations, financial situations. I've had physical situations where I would begin to say, because I was under attack, either financially or, or physically or whatever the case is, I would begin to say what God's word says. I believe I received my healing according to the word of God. Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses. Therefore, I am healed. By faith, I am healed. According to the word of God, it's already done. Say it any number of ways. Use any number of scriptures that you want to in any way that, that works for you. doesn't matter. Same thing where, where finances are concerned. I'd begin to say, thank you, Father, for X amount of dollars uh, this year or by a certain point in time, whatever the case is, whatever you know, the circumstance I was under. Well, you go along and nothing happens. You don't see any visible results. That's what I mean by nothing happens. We don't see any visible results. We don't see any change. And the devil's always right there to say it's not working. It's not working. It's not working. And so what do you do? Well, that's the fight of faith. You combat that with saying the word of God says 
Jesus took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses, and with his stripes I'm healed. The Word of God says, God will supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. The Bible says, if I abide in him and his Word abides in me, I'll ask whatever I will and it shall be done. We do this. This is the means whereby you stand in faith and resist the attack of the enemy who says the Word is not working. Well, you do that over a process of time. It's, for me, there's been times where it's been several months. It's been, you know, uh, one case it was, uh, uh, well, the majority of the year, a calendar year. And all of a sudden, one day, same as every other day, but something happens spiritually. All of a sudden, I began to say what the Bible says, and my eyes popped open. This the situation was a financial deal. And my eyes popped open, and I saw almost in front of me like it was on a screen. Mark eleven twenty three. Whosoever shall say, I've been saying, be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe that those things which he saith shall come to pass. And here's the part that stood out. He shall have whatsoever he saith. And it dawned on me. I've been saying this for a year. It's impossible for this not to work. I've been saying it for a year. Now, folks, that was true all along the way. But my eyes were open. My spiritual eyes were open. And it was like, wait a minute. It's impossible for this not to work, folks. Because I've been saying this. Jesus said I'd have what I say. I have not backed up. I haven't doubted in my heart. I've been saying this continuously. I've been speaking the word of God in my situation. It can't not happen. I know it's not good English, but you know what I'm saying. It's impossible for this not to happen. It's impossible for this not to come to pass. If this fails, it's because God's word's a lie. See what I'm talking about? Man, my confession took on a whole new meaning that day. And within just a short, a short period of time, a couple of weeks, the money that I'd been saying all year long came in. Now, what was the difference? The only difference was in me. It didn't change the word. This was the Holy Ghost, I believe, just giving me an encouragement, saying you've been on the right track. You've won this battle of faith. I've had the same thing happen where healing was concerned. Because you pray and you confess the word, you do all kinds of things, and whether it's a sniffle or a sore throat or whatever it is, it looks like nothing is happening. You don't see any results. You don't see any results. Well, that's your opportunity to quit. But I didn't. I kept on. I kept saying the word, feeling lousy, kept saying the word, started singing little songs about being healed. Sound terrible. I love to do that to my daughter. When I'm plugged up and everything, my voice gets real low. Sound like I got a frog in my throat. I'll get in the car and just sing healing songs and make her listen. She just laughs. Finally says, stop, daddy, please stop, stop, stop. God heard you. Stop. That's how you fight the good fight of faith. You keep on no matter what it feels like. You keep on no matter what it looks like. And then my eyes were opened. It's like, whoa, wait a minute. I've been saying this. I've been saying this. Now, folks, I know what the Bible says. I know what that verse says. But, oh, every now and then, God will give you a little glimpse. And it's like, it's impossible for this not to work. I've been saying it. God said that if I said it and didn't speak to the contrary, this is what I'd have. I've been saying this. It's impossible for it not to work. I'm in the same situation with some things with my body now. It's impossible for it not to work. Yeah, but can you see any difference? Well, I can see a little bit of a difference. Yeah. But even if I couldn't, it doesn't matter. Because it's impossible for it not to be true. The whole universe is riding on this. God's word is upholding the universe. If God's word's a lie, then we're all sunk. And that's the only way this can't happen is for God's word to be a lie. And that is not possible. See what I'm saying? That's the faith that takes hold of. That's the faith that goes out and catches the ball. That's the faith of the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15 that refused to give up. That's the faith of the centurion who said, speak the word only. The word's enough for me. I don't need anything else. I don't need a sign. I don't need a feeling. I don't need you to come to my house. Speak the word only. That'll do me. That's the kind of faith that takes hold. Much more, they that receive, take hold of the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall, not might, shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. It doesn't say Jesus will reign through you. It says you'll reign over sin, over sickness, over poverty, and over everything else Jesus paid the price for. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that it's true. 
We thank you, Father, that there's nothing that can overcome faith in your word. Thank you, Father, therefore, that because Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, we are healed. By the stripes of Jesus, we are healed. Thank you, Father, that we reign over poverty because Jesus paid the price. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. Thank you, Father, that we reign over sin in our lives because Jesus paid the price for our transgressions. Lord, what a privilege it is to walk by faith. No matter what we see, we'll never give up. And Lord, your word's enough for us. Thank you, Lord, for making it so and for bringing it to pass, even as you promised. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.